Well, thank you for joining me again this afternoon. Julian Campbell here with Business, the Law and You. And we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we've got a Harvard Business uh, tip. This particular one is own, own up to your mistake when you've dropped the ball. Interesting point. We often make mistakes, don't we? We're also talking with Christina. We last week talked about the six Ds in business. So we're going to look at the first two Ds in a little bit more detail. Digitisation and deception in your business. But right now we're going to have a chat with uh, Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray about some proposed ABN reform. Good afternoon, Tony. Good afternoon, Julian. I love the way you segue to me straight after the word deception. Oh, sorry about that. That's just the way it came out. <laughs> oh, look, there's, there's always lots of deception around taxation and what governments are, are trying to do to us. So it was uh, no, it was quite good. I'll pay that. I'll pay that segue. That was quite good. I thought it was the other one. Open up, <laughs> your, open up to your mistakes when you drop the ball. Oh, I dropped the ball. I thought that was an NRL reference. So yeah. I don't... <laughs> so that yeah, sounds like yeah, a this... little bit of a, a a tricky one. This one, a proposed ABN re- uh, reform. This is really fascinating. I, I mean, I, I think I mentioned to you a while ago that I, you know, I'm cursed with a long memory, so I'll give you a bit of a history lesson. And let's go back to the year 2000 when the GST was first introduced, and that was the year that um, they decided to get rid of some of the taxes, sales tax, and, and uh, the prescribed payment system PPS, because we're bringing in this new system, and it's called an ABN, an Australian Business Number, and uh, we, the government, will be able to track all of these things using um, an ABN. Um, 17, 18 years, you know. Uh, later and they've realised that the ABN um, system has got some massive holes in it so um, they're now trying to reform the whole thing because they're realising that there's a bit of a misuse of, of ABNs and a bit of a misuse of the of the whole system so some of the reforms and I, I guess the most we'll jump to the most controversial one um, first that they're proposing um, is to uh, should ABNs be subject to an annual renewal now the task force is uh, recommended uh, that was charged with having a look at this, that ABN should be subject to a renewal um, with a fee. Mm. So, <laughs> so I guess people who are out there who are running their, their small businesses now are just sighing in exasperation. Um, if you think about the amount of fees that we have to pay governments at the moment uh, for just for the privilege of existing, I mean, we have to pay ASIC an annual fee of about $254 a year just for the privilege of having a company uh, a little bit cheaper if the company's a trustee of a super fund. Um, we have to pay ASIC uh, an annual or a three uh, triennial um, fee for having a business day registration. Yeah. Um, and so now they want us to pay, if you've got a self-managed super fund, you pay them a supervisory um, levy. And now they want us to pay a fee every year just for the privilege of, of having um, an ABN. So, mm. so, you know, I mean, governments are great at collecting revenue on these sort of things because the, the revenue they collect by clipping everyone with a couple of hundred dollars um, then funds, you know, the, their, their task force and their workforce to then turn around and audit the uh, the ones that are uh, that are at the rogue end of the um, the scale. So it's uh, it's it's certainly it's certainly a controversial um, suggestion, and you can imagine the the, the accounting and tax profession um, really really hit back with a with a backlash, saying that it's just a revenue raising exercise. And of course, when the ABN did first come out, as you said, in two thousand, originally it was only a tax office. Uh, uh, reference, whereas these days the APN is often used just to show you're in business. You, you need an APN to register a business name now, and and there's a lot of uh, workshops and things that you want to go to, or particularly government ones, where 
you can only go if you've got an ABN. So that's right. it, it's yep. been opened up. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's happened is that uh, we, we all know that uh, there are a lot of uh, firms out there that push people onto being contractors and then uh, getting an ABN even though they're really still employees. And I think that's, that's right. probably yep. the area that the tax office is trying to, to close down on. But exactly. you know, unless the fee is an enormous fee, you know, a few dollars is not going to really stop people no. doing that, is it? doing that sort of stuff. Exactly. And that's one of the things that they're, this is one of the recommendations from the task force as well. You hit the nail on the head that they're, they're, they're concerned that not everyone currently that has an ABN should be entitled to one. So they're, they're looking at the sham contracting arrangements where exactly you've got this Friday Monday scenario where an employer turns around and says, you know, everything to do with paying under the award and paying superannuation and, um, and, and workers' comp, it's all too hard, go and get yourself, get yourself an ABN and you can start contracting you know, back on, on a Monday. Um, the tax office and the government have been all over it like a rash and, and it's, it's something that, at the end of the day, the poor individual who's forced into doing it, there's not that much loss of revenue to them in terms of income tax, there is in terms of um, entitlements, um, but the, the real risk is by the, the, the payer, the employer who, who introduces these things and, and we're starting to see some really um, interesting penalties that are starting to be hit um, at the big end of town where they're, they're forcing these, these people into these um, sham contracting arrangements. Mm. Interestingly, there's a, when you apply for an ABN, um, it, the, the system actually starts ringing some alarm bells if, if you answer some of the questions. Um, I won't say incorrectly, but you, you, get, you go down a path of trying to tell the tax office, um, uh, the computer, that you're a contractor. It starts to say, mm, OK, well, what sort of a contractor are you? Mm. And it could actually... I've had a, an incident where one lady, it was spat out the other end, and, she sa- and it said to her, um, you're not entitled to an ABN. You're an employee. Go back to your, em- <laughs> your employer um, and tell them to, um, to, to stop it. Um, so... Yeah, if you answer the questions in a certain way, it just won't give you, you know, it won't give you an ABN. So, so it's an area that they've needed to, to tighten up on. But one of the one of the recommendations which I find fascinating is, apart from they want to rebadge it to from an ABN to an ABL, an Australian Business Licence, but they also are thinking of requiring the holders. Um, it's like um, P plates and L plates. They, they need to pass a business literacy test before they get converted to a full. Licence. Now, I know this will be very interesting in your regard as you're coaching people through mm. the early stages of going from not knowing anything about running a business and all the things all of a sudden that they need to, to know about. But you can imagine people who start out in running a business having their, their provisional plates and then, then they get converted to a full licence once they pass some form of a, uh, an online you know, literacy, um, literacy testing so that they're, they're not just going to hand these out um, to anyone who just sits and, and, uh, and applies. And if you think of it in the context of a sham contracting arrangement where that employee who's quite happy to be an employee gets bullied into being a contractor, they don't know anything about running a business. They don't know anything about record keeping and, and um, having to raise invoices and what, you know, what needs to be on a tax invoice. So it'll be very interesting from that perspective that they have to go through a literacy test um, to be able to hold an ABN in the first place. be interesting to see if they have to put a P on their uh, tax invoices. Uh, yeah, to... that's it. <laughs> I mean, that that subject has been around for a long time. A lot of people have often said, before you register a business name, you need to have some sort of a business qualification. But but I think the negative side to that is it brings out a lot of sham trainers who just take the dollars and don't necessarily provide good training. So you're you're always going to have the good and the bad when you look at those things. And and talking about that, we've got just a 
time just have a quick chat about the the black economy and some funny measures there. Yeah, that's right. So as part of all this task force, they're actually looking at um, removing um, the tax deductibility of when you um, when you make um, you know non-compliant payments. They're calling them. So so for example, there's two big areas here. One is paying your employees in cash. Um, so the the task force is looking, and, and it's a there's a, a start date of the 1st of July um, 2019. So they're going to remove um, any sort of tax deductibility where there was a requirement to withhold tax um, at source. So that's not only cash wages. That also could be for the contractor that you have um, that may not have an ABN mm, or, okay. has a, or has an ABN that may have expired. Now, this, this is a real problem because... You know, you may have a, a contractor that works for you, and um, again, I'm not sure how vigilant everyone is in checking um, tax invoices at the ABN, but what they're really forcing everyone to do now is to check on the, the public register to see if the ABN um, is still valid. Now, if it's not valid, you have, as a payer, you have an obligation to withhold 47% tax at source, yeah. right? And that's yeah. not happening. Now, what they're saying is that, well, if you continue to pay this person and you should have deducted tax at source, we're actually going to deny you the tax deductibility of the payment in the first place. Mm. That's, Str- brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> strange That's brutal. one, isn't it? It is very strange. And, and as we say, there's always the pros and the cons. You can understand why some of the ideas are muted, but they're not necessarily going to resolve the issues. That's it. And look, like any, like any tax measure, you know, they start out with an intent to try and get you know, things at the wrong end of town, but trouble is it's like a... It's like you know the net in the sea. It actually picks up a lot of uh, a lot of little fish along the way that that, um, that should not have been caught in the net in the first place. So oh. yeah, we all we all end up paying for it. Punish everybody for the for the few. That's it. That's yeah. it. It's like yeah, it's like the you know increasing prices at the supermarket for the because of the few people who um, steal goods at the supermarket. We all we all end up paying um, increase in increased prices. Yeah. Well, you have a good trip off off to Adelaide, I believe, and then we'll have a chat with you next yeah. month. No worries. Look forward to it. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks, Julian. Tony Vidray there. Interesting, that uh, ABN reform, isn't it? Time to pop over and have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And we're going to talk about, well, we started talking about six Ds in your business last week, and we're going to look at the digitisation and deception today. That's right. Yep, that's right. So we'll just quickly, the six Ds were digitisation, deception, disruption, dematerialisation, demonetisation, democratisation. Um, so at the very beginning of what we call the exponential curve, where things change at a faster rate than what they've ever changed um, before, it's all related to Moore's law and the number of, um, of bits on a transistor radio, etc., etc. But what we need to know is that Probably quite some time ago, the world started moving into a digitised space. And if we take that into um, the example that we give readers today, around 20 years ago, the newspaper industry started entering the realm of um, digitisation. And it was a little deceptive at first because people kind of didn't think that it would make that big a difference and that readership would always be readership. Uh, And then if you have a look at what's happening right now and the number of newspapers, magazines... Uh, journals that are closing down their their tangible publications Mm. and going to a purely online model, um, we kind of get where the curve's going. So for the first 20 years after digitisation, it was a bit slow. That's where the deception comes in. Now they're kind of heading off into, into unknown territory, almost unknown territory. So if we take that back and we go use The Guardian as an example, The Guardian's basic model was editorial 
drove readership. Readership drove advertising and the funding from the advertising drove the newsroom. That traditional business model has kind of turned itself upside down at the moment and people are needing to think or, or the, the owners of these magazines, journals, newspapers, sources of information are actually rethinking the whole the whole way that the, that the traditional business model has happened and how it translates into the online world. Um, some people have changed their, their traditional model, others haven't. We even had things like, uh, I know we've had, you've had we've, we've mentioned um, Lisa Messenger and the Collective Hub in the past. I mean, they've actually closed their physical, uh, physical online, sorry, their physical magazine down now and they're moving into a completely different business model. And it's actually not because there was, there was a shortage of readers. There was actually a shortage of advertisers. So mm-hmm. what we're looking at at the moment is that readership isn't even driving advertising. What's driving advertising is digital, digitalization and, and the hits that people are getting, even though they sometimes aren't translating into, um, into sales or anything else. We're looking at the moment at how many likes people have and how many Facebook followers they've got. And if you're an influencer, how many people are following you, we're not at the moment looking at how many sales are actually eventuating, and that's what's happened in this whole digitisation space. Mm-hmm. But if I can bring that back now to the Herald, the Herald have actually been reinventing themselves over a period of time where they've put more and more local content in. So there's more opinion pieces, and there's a section dedicated each week to what's happening in your local area, whether that's a food section or a business section or whether it's an entertainment section. So they're appealing to their readership through... Um, a local localization, local story, local content. But just recently, they've also needing to move into this online subscription model, which becomes really difficult when you when people have been used to getting things for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is another problem that we're dealing with. Also, the whole um, area around things that are uh, available audio-wise and that people are regurgitating information. So you really have to start with a new business model related to digitization and that early deceptive model needs to start with why are you doing what you're doing? Who do you have that help you to do what you do? What is it exactly that you're doing and that you're offering? And where are you placed locally, geographically? Because what we're finding is, even in the world of globalization, what people can do in their local areas, what people can do on, in, in localization, is having a big impact on sales. So, so I mean, it's similar also in the retail area, isn't it? So, Absolutely, yeah, that's for sure. So, you know, even if we're using... So retail models are changing, but people... Are, because we're humans, we still want that experience, you know? It's like cinemas. People said once upon a time that cinemas would, would die because we've got Netflix and we've got, you know, on-demand television. Cinemas are actually enjoying um, an influx of more and more people going to them because people want the experience. So we're working on what that experience looks like. AR, VR, you know, they're going to have huge impacts on cinema. Uh, And you could actually say that you really don't need the cinema in order to have that experience, but we still want to have that experience with other people. AR and VR games are much more successful when you're playing them with somebody else. You know, we still need that that interaction. Mm. You know, ages ago they said that books would die. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, they would all go online. But people really like that tangible feel, the smell of books, being able to take a book and read it without damaging your eyes anywhere you go. So, And, and again, also to underline things and highlight things. Uh, have you read my them. books, have you? Yeah. <laughs> have I lent you a no. book? You should see most of my books have got red lines Mine's and everything the same. all over them. So yours, yeah, yours as well. Yeah, And I know you can do that, in a, you know, in a... Um, in a on a digital, um, you know, on a digital device, but it just doesn't have the same feel. It's not so easy. It's not so easy. 
No, it's not. So, the, you know, there's a whole lot to be said around digitisation and deception in those early stages, and it's how we model it to suit ourselves. It's like absolutely anything in this era, it's how do you best use it to suit your customers so everything in the end comes back to what your customer wants. Okay, all right, that's good. So uh, next week we're going to look at the next two Ds? Yeah, we shall indeed. We'll look at, um, oh, let me think, which ones will we look at next week? Maybe we'll look at demonetisation. Um, and we'll look at democratisation. Alrighty. Actually, no, you know what? We'll look at disruption and dematerialisation first because they, they should come before demonetisation and democratisation. All right. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with digitisation. So certainly uh, the internet and technology has had a real big impact on most businesses. There's just a few that probably still not touched with it, but some stage they probably will. It's always important to keep reviewing your business model. We've got time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. And this particular one, own up to your mistake when you've dropped the ball. No matter how hard you try, you'll likely disappoint a colleague at some point. But what should you do if you let something really important slip? Instead of hiding, address the problem right away. Face-to-face and preferably with the other person can still make a plan B. If you're supposed to deliver a report that you can't get done, say something like, I think I'm in over my head. Do you want me to keep plugging along? Are there other people who can help? Is there any flexibility with the deadline? Don't wait until your counterpart has no other options. Take ownership by admitting you've made a mistake, then provide an explanation, but don't belaw it. A heartfelt, I'm sorry, can go a long way. Lay out a plan for how you're going to make the situation right, and in future, be upfront about what you can what you can, and what you can't do. I'm sure we've all been in that position before on making mistakes, but it's always good to admit them. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, some of those proposed reforms with the uh, Taxation Office, the ABN and the Black Economy and digitisation and deception in your business. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about search engine optimisation with Chad Shuttleworth. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and we'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as someone once said, never give up on a dream just because of the time it will take to accomplish it. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.